Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week and thank you for listening to last week's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. You know, last week we talked about PYR and strep typing. But before we get started, uh, remember that you can listen to Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, Stitcher, Audible, TuneIn, Google Podcasts. So whatever you listen to your podcast at, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So please go ahead and follow. So last week, you know, it was a great episode. Like I said, we talked about PYR and strep typing. So by now, we have gone over catalase, coagulase, PYR, and strep typing. So you first start with catalase, right? If it's positive, you do coagulase. And we're talking about gram-positive cocci. And then if it's catalase negative, you do a PYR, right? Um... There are several methods out there, but overall, either like with the the carton one or the one with the disc, you know, it involves applying your colonies, basically waiting two minutes and then adding a developer. And then out of the strep species, you should have two positives, right? Do you remember? So you had Streptococcus pyogenes and Enterococcus. They're supposed to be PYR positive. Then you can also use PYR. Remember when I mentioned on the episode about the 40X objective? Now you do a quick wet mount. Um, If you want to see if you have alpha colonies, you know, if you're in the urine bench, you have an elderly patient, you want to rule out Aerococcus urinae. So you have that's gram positive coxine clusters. So it can be challenging at times. I mean, you can do a wet bond. Sometimes you know you can see them well, and then you do a PYR. If your PYR is negative, we have Aerococcus urinae, and then if your PYR is positive, we have Aerococcus viridens, which is like normal flora. But in that particular patient population, elderly patients. If we have an alpha colonies, you know, gram-positive cocci clusters, we want to roll out Aerococcus urinae, and it's PYR negative. So as far as the gram-positive coccine chains, you have your Streptococcus pyogenes and your Enterococcus. Remembering that Streptococcus pyogenes is beta-hemolytic, and then Enterococcus can actually have all three. Another thing, remember when you're doing your PYR test, you know, try to sometimes, you know, inoculate multiple areas. That way, you know, if you have a questionable reaction, you're not sure if it's positive or not. You can see your positive or you can see your pink color, which is what a positive is. You can see that pink color in multiple areas. So keep it all, you know, you students out there, uh, you new techs, keep that in mind. It's very helpful. So, and then 
Enterococcus, yes, you can have all three hemolysis, alpha, beta, and gamma. But the most common ones are gamma and alpha. So we also talked about your strep typing, right? It is based on the Lansfield system. So, you know, they have a, a carbohydrate on their cell wall. So then that typing method, you know, we have a latex that corresponds to that antigen, that, to that carbohydrate, and then it's classified in a system. So we have A, B, C, F, and G. A is Streptococcus pyogenes. B, Streptococcus agalactiae. C, you can have Streptococcus dysgalactiae or anginosus. F, Streptococcus anginosus. And G, Streptococcus dysgalactiae or anginosus. You know, it's a, for more details about how you do the typing, just go ahead. And, if you haven't tuned in to the previous episode, go ahead and do so. Um, but the one thing to remember is that for this test, you need to have beta hemolytic strep. Like I mentioned, um, if you look at the flowchart that I posted on Instagram, uh, Streptococcus anginosus can actually have all three hemolysis, all three kinds, but you only type it when it is beta hemolytic. So just remember that. Um, also, with Streptococcus anginosus, you know, you should never smell plates, but it gives a lot of scotch smell. Just saying. So that's basically, you know, for your strep typing. And then you, you know, you keep that in hand in hand with the PYR testing, right? Because if you have beta hemolytic strep and, and you have a PYR positive, then you go ahead and uh, type for A, do the typing for A. If you have a PYR negative, then you do C, F, and G. And like I mentioned before, Streptococcus B, it has a very distinctive morphology. So for that one, I mean, you can still type it, but if you have a PYR negative beta strep, you can start with C, F, and G, and then maybe try B. But that's, you know, strep typing for you. So by now we have cover four major tests that aid in ID and gram-positive coccyte. So that brings us to today's episode. So we are still in gram-positive coccyte. And real quick before we touch on those, continue touching on those. Then catalase, we can also use it for gram-positive rods. Um, and for the positives and negatives, go ahead and tune in to episode 7. So now, as part of the flow chart, depending on which direction you go, right? So, you, let's say you did your PYR, it was negative, you had beta hemolysis, you did your typing, and then based on that, you had your species. So, what if it's alpha, what if it's gamma, right? So, on the flow chart that I posted on Instagram, if you have alpha, you can, you can maybe have streptococcus pneumoniae and as you microbiologists know out there streptococcus pneumoniae or strep pneumo as people in the lab say it um, it causes meningitis it causes pneumonia it can also cause sinusitis and otitis media 
So it is definitely serious. However, Streptococcus pneumoniae, it tends to have a pretty distinctive morphology. And besides being alpha hemolytic, it tends to be mucoid. So that helps in that visual. Um, so it brings us to optokin, which is not a biochemical, it's, a, it's an antibiotic, it's a disc. And normally when you see, depending on the protocol of the lab, I mean, I've seen some places that when you have a positive blood culture, and on your gram thing, you see gram-positive coxine chains, you go ahead and add the P-disc, which is the optokin disc, on the first quadrant to make sure that in case you have stromnumo, you know, you can rule it out. So I think some places that maybe if you see gram-positive coxine pairs, which is more more typical strep pneumo, um, then you add the disc. So, so what is optokin? So optokin interferes with the production of ATP, adenosine triphosphate, in microorganisms. So like I mentioned, you put the disc on the plate, and then if the organism is susceptible to it, you know, its growth will be inhibited. And this is seen by uh, clearing around the disc. And then you measure that, you know, with a caliper, you know, you can use a ruler, and you measure the zone, you know, that clearing from end to end in millimeters. So basically, if it grows all the way to the disc, it's six millimeters, because that's the you know, that's the width of the disc, of the P-disc. Um, so when you measure that zone of inhibition, 40 millimeters or greater, it's considered susceptible. And out of all the streps, strep pneumo is the one that's susceptible to optokin. So this zone of 40 millimeters or greater, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's called susceptible. Um, so this can actually be used as a presumptive ID for streptococcus pneumoniae. And there will be an episode on presumptive IDs. So basically, with this evidence, you know, like if you document that your PDS is susceptible, you know, that's enough to call it streptococcus pneumoniae. I mean, you can also check the protocols of your hospital. Some might require you to perform another method of ID just to confirm it. Nowadays, in the Molotov age, it's so much easier. You know, you can get an ID so quick. So it'll be, you know, it's good practice. Also, you have to keep in mind with the optical disc. A lot of times, you know, maybe techs take them out at the beginning of their shift. And then they forget, so they leave them out. So a lot of times they don't work properly. And, I, and I've seen this a lot. Blood culture, you know, the ID ends up being streptococcus pneumoniae. But you have like a zone of uh, 13 millimeters. Um, so in this case, you do have to perform a, an actual ID. You know, like Vitec or whatever system you use in your lab. But it's, it's very typical. You know, you're like, okay, it looks like strep pneumo. You know it is, but you still have to prove it, right? But then your optic is coming in at 13 millimeters.
So, just to recap, you know, Optokin, you know, interferes with the production of ATP, and then the organisms that are susceptible to it, you know, their growth, their growth is inhibited, and this creates that clearing around the, the disk. And then you measure that clearing. And then a number of 14 or greater millimeters is considered susceptible. But remember, if you have anything less than that, you have to perform uh, an ID by another method, depending on what your lab has, Vitek, uh, Molitov. But yeah, and you text out there, just remember, only take your PDSC out when you're going to use it. You know, don't leave it out. It can cause this kind of problems, which at the same time, you know, create more work. Because if you don't get that expected result, then you have to continue working and you waste supplies and you waste time. So, I mean, of course, in the lab, the patients always come first. That's why we do this. And then at the same time, we want to be conscious about our time, about our supplies. In our time, especially because of time that we spend, you know, doing all these extra steps, it is time that we can, you know, spend helping another patient. So it is good practice to always be conscious about, you know, time and supplies. So now that we went over the optokin, now we have another test that we're bringing in. And this is the microdase disk. So now this is not part of the flowchart, but this aids in identifying micrococcus species. Um, do you know what micrococcus is? So this is another species of gram-positive cocci in clusters. You know, and they're typically considered a contaminant. So why am I mentioning it now after having, you know, talked about strep? Well, you kind of tend to see more micrococcus in the blood culture bench. So, normally, you know, all the other organisms, especially, you know, enterococcus and your streps, your staph, you see them everywhere from urine, wound cultures, respiratory cultures. However, with blood cultures, you know, a lot of times you tend to have one organism and then micrococcus is seen more than blood cultures you know just remember like i like i mentioned before our body's full of bacteria right and a lot of it's good because it keeps the bad ones from taking over so they're just you know they they help us like i mentioned before with the like in the genital area you know, a lack of good flora can lead to like yeast and other organisms to take over. So the same is true in the body that you have opportunistic organisms that when they find the space, they take over. So we have to be careful when we're looking at blood cultures, right? Because we don't, we were trying to rule out septicemia and if, if the patient is actually septic or or you know or has bacteremia we want to make sure that you know we catch that organism and then we have to make sure that it is a pathogen versus contamination 
So I'm just going to talk about, touch briefly with the blood cultures before I move on. So blood cultures, they get collected in multiple sets, right? Um, so a lot of times, some of the organisms that are actually flora, they can, they can cause infections, you know, given the, the right conditions or the source. So a lot of times, you know, like we kind of want to see if we have that same organism. So by having multiple sets, better said, we can see if, you know, we have an organism that's potentially causing an infection versus a contaminant. Like, let's say that you have three sets of blood cultures and all of three, all three are growing staph, staph epidermidis, staph epi. So in that case, more than likely, it is causing an infection. But let's say that you have three sets and then one has staph epi and then the other one maybe has like a virulent strep. So in that case, it's probably a contamination that the area wasn't cleaned properly before collection. And some of that skin flora got in there. So micrococcus tends to be, you know, it tends to be normal flora. So normally when we see it in the, in the blood cultures, um, we don't do susceptibilities for it. And they rarely, maybe you get it in one set. I mean, if we get it in multiple sets, maybe the physician might ask for, for some susceptibilities. But it is, it is a common organism that's seen in blood cultures when it's a contaminant. Um, so this disc, it just, with this disc, you can use it to presumptively ID micrococcus. So it's just, it's, uh, you know, this test is used for the detection of the enzyme oxidase. The enzyme, um, I'm getting technical, it reacts with the oxidase reagent and cytochrome C to form the color compound endophenol, producing a blue-purple color. Very simple test. Now you place your disc on a slide, you add the colony, and then you observe for a color reaction. So a blue color reaction a blue color is considered a positive result. And then no color change is considered a negative. You also have to keep in mind that before you use this test, you know, you have to make sure that you have a gram positive coxine clusters so you don't get a false reaction. So by now we have covered three types of gram positive coxine in clusters, right? Staph, micrococcus, and aerococcus. And you can also see, you can actually also see aerococcus on blood cultures. Maybe not as common as your micrococcus and definitely not your staph, but you can see them. So we did with this, with this disc, it's a... Uh, you know, very simple. This way you don't have to perform an ID on the micrococcus. You can call it micrococcus species when you have a positive result. And it's a typical presentation. You know, you might have two sets, three sets, and then one of them grows micrococcus. They're yellow colonies. They're slow growers. Um, after 24 or 48 hours is when you see like the nice large 
colonies. But typically before you get to that point when you're reading it on the blood bench at 24 hours, uh, the morphology matches the gram stain, gram positive coxine clusters. And then you go ahead and perform this, this test, this disc, and you get a positive result and you can call it Micrococcus species. And then just move on. And it's also a very typical presentation when you're on the blood bench. You know, a lot of times, most places, I mean, depending on how large they are. Um, nowadays, when you have a blood culture and it's positive, you go ahead and put it on, a, you perform an ID from that blood using like a nucleic acid method, a PCR method. Um, and normally, some of these tests, I know definitely like on the Luminex, Luminex does not identify micrococcus. So you get, you have a presentation where you have a gram stain that's gram positive coxine clusters, and then your Luminex comes back as not, you know, um, what identified. And then when you look at your bench, then it's, it's micrococcus. So when you have a gram positive coxine clusters, that your PCR nucleic acid method does not ID, more than likely you have micrococcus. And then to a lesser extent, you can have aerococcus as well. But yes. And then we typically don't perform susceptibilities on it. And like I mentioned it. And on the other ones that are contaminants, you know, we perform susceptibilities if they're growing on multiple sets. And this is true for coagulase negative staph and strep species. All the other ones like Corynebacterium, Lactobacillus, Bacillus, those tend to be performed upon request. So today we have covered two more tests, right? So after the right now we have six. And with this, we actually conclude the gram-positive cocci. Of course, you know, there are more tests. You students out there, when you're going through your class, reading your books, you know, there's like a bile solubility and there's other tests. But these are the basic ones. That if you know how to do these, you will basically have almost no trouble identifying gram-positive cocci. Um, Keeping in mind that depending on some things that like you still have to perform like formal IDs as in like Vitek, Molditov. So you have to correlate with the source. Like if you have a, you cannot call, if you have white colonies on a younger female on the urine bench, you have to perform an ID to rule out Staph saprophyticus. Um, when you're doing the typing on your beta strip, if you have like, you know, like CF or G, you still have to do a, a formal ID, especially for C and G. So you can differentiate between this galactia and anginosis. For your enterococcus, when you have enterococcus, you still have to do an ID to see if you have fecalis, facium. And when you have your alphas and your gamma streps that are pure and negative, um, you still need to do an ID to make sure you're allowed 
Streptococcus anginosus, because that's pathogenic, versus Streptococcus viridens, which tends to be normal flora. So keep that in mind. So, but with this test I have covered, you basically have no trouble, you know, IDs, staph versus strep. So today we cover optican, which we use for streptococcus pneumoniae. And then we cover the microdase disc, which you use it for micrococcus species. And with this, we wrap the gram positive cocci and then we move on to the gram negative rods, which we have different bio, which have different biochemicals. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. We got through another one, huh? I hope you enjoy listening about Optokin and Microdase disc and listening about all these tests that we can use to identify gram-positive cocci in clinical micro. You know, these tests, they're very helpful. A lot of times nowadays with the, te the technology, such as like the Molotov, a lot of these new generations of techs they're foregoing them and just going straight to the Molotov. These are, there are such helpful tools in the lab. As always, continue doing your best. You know, the, the patients will benefit from this. And that's what we are here for. Continue bringing that passion. And continue talking micro. I hope you have a great week. Until next time.